It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts... Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben... I had to get up this morning and refresh the page on my Wikipedia mm-hmm. just to make sure that it actually happened, just to make sure that I wasn't living in some kind of nightmare. But it's real. UFC 293 over the weekend down there in Sydney, Australia at the Kudos Bank Center, granddaddy of them all, in perhaps the greatest championship upset in UFC history. Sean Strickland, god damn it. (laughs) Oh, I can't even say it. Sean Strickland defeats Israel Adesanya by unanimous decision. Sean Strickland is now your UFC middleweight champion. And one thing that we all agree on is that this is all my fault. Yeah, I'm just waiting for you to get around to your apology. To where you accept responsibility for what you have done. To where you vow to be better and to do better. Because, damn it, Chad, we sat here on Friday talking $20 we never want to see again, as we do every week over there in the Power Hour with that sweet, sweet Patreon content. And you ran down a list of bets. What did you have? Six bets and five of them had Israel Adesanya in there? Just sprinkle him. Eight bets and seven of them. Seven of them. See, I told you. Didn't I tell you? What had happened? What had happened was. No, you are not going to. What had happened your way out of this one, my friend? I was trying to bring some silly little guy energy Uh to to our weekly fight betting segment over on the Friday Power Hour at the Patreon page and 
clearly I took things a little too far. Worked okay? yourself into a shoot is what you I did. I worked my way into a shoot. And the patrons are hot. Yeah. They're hot right now, Ben folks. Rightly so. Uh, they I've been we've been getting some some Patreon messages, Twitter messages about basically saying that I have uh ushered in a time of chaos in the, in the <laughs> UFC. And you know, here, let me just say this. That twenty dollars we never want to see again segment over on the power hour. It's for entertainment purposes only. Yeah. Well, are you, are you not entertained? <laughs> are you not entertained, Ben Folks? Entertained like seeing a car crash. Uh, now, I see, got a little on concerned. The, no, on the bright side, this is conclusive proof that the MMA gods actually exist. Because in my exact words last Friday, I said, we are going to fuck around and find out. Uh, and we did. We we fucked we around did. and we and we found out all of you us. Did. I think as a community, fucked around and found out. Um, the okay, the thing is, I got a little concerned when I sat here and listened to you run down Israel Adesanya bet after Israel Adesanya bet pointed out on at mm-hmm. several different points along this way. You were putting a lot of eggs in the Izzy Adesanya basket. You're just sprinkling him very liberally all over all your bets. You're inviting disaster. I was I was at a mid-level of concern coming out of that power hour. Then yeah, I, I got on Twitter.com say. I know and I what saw you're gonna say. Drake mm-hmm. fucking the poison chalice himself, Drake. <laughs> Got on there with a huge bet on Izzy Adesanya, and I went, uh-oh. Yeah. We might be in trouble here, and sure enough. See, and the thing is, I wish people could have seen your fucking face the way I did when you found out the news. Because, as listeners of this podcast will know, we did not get a chance to watch UFC 293 live because we were busy co-promoting a professional wrestling show here in Missoula, Montana, which was a great time, by the way. Um a lot of bodies got thrown into a lot of rented chairs. I was concerned mm-hmm. we were going to lose our deposit on some of those chairs. It ended up being okay. After the whole thing is over, it's late at night in Missoula, Montana. The wrestlers are taking apart the ring. We are stacking up all our chairs, get cleaning up the joint. And I saw you pause with your phone in your hand, and you went, oh, no. And I just I saw the look on your face, and I knew. That's when <laughs> I knew. Yeah, and shout you know out what? to friend of the show, John Lee, for texting me to be like, you have spoke this into existence. Sean and Strickland d- is the UFC champ. And when I first heard that, I thought, must have been a lucky knockout, right? Like, must yeah. have landed one big shot out of nowhere, clipped him, Izzy Adesanya went down, and we had ourselves a Matt Sarah GSP situation on our hands. And then come to find out. No, he just fucking walked him down and took that decision from him over the course of five rounds. And that is even more stunning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from everything you've just said, what I'm hearing is instead of blaming me, Chad Dundas, for my entertainment purposes only silly little guy bets, we should just blame Drake. We should just blame Drake for all we know, I, I was about to score big with my Israel Adesanya bets before Drake came out here and poisoned the well for us. Listen, normally I would absolutely support your efforts to blame Drake for everything you've ever done wrong. <laughs> but I told you, I yeah. goddamn told you what yeah. you were doing. 
you still did it. I would like to take this opportunity to formally apologize to the entire MMA community for the hell that I hath wrought with my $20 we never want to see again bets. Now, I don't know if UFC 293 was a big seller on pay-per-view for the UFC. I would guess that it probably was not, just because Israel Adesanya came in as almost a 7-to-1 favorite at the time that things closed. But by the time the, the books closed before this thing actually occurred... Uh, but we got a shitload of listener mail. Generally, that is a sign that the UFC has done well on a pay-per-view. This time, I believe it is a sign of the coming apocalypse because of Sean Strickland's UFC middleweight title reign. We got a lot of listener mail and almost all of it was about Sean Strickland. So what we're going to do this week is go ahead and forego our normal three round format for this episode of the co-main event podcast and we will go through as much of this Sean Strickland mail as we can. I say Sean Strickland mail because literally almost all of it is about Sean Strickland and not about Israel Adesanya. So we will do that. Uh, I think we will open it up to begin the show just by talking a little bit about the fight as we saw it, the physicality of what went down and how we came to this very unlikely end of putting the 185-pound championship belt on Sean Strickland. First, though, we got to remind you that this week's episode is once again brought to you by NordVPN. Kids, have you signed up for your NordVPN deal exclusively through the co-main event? If you haven't, you really, really should. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware with threat protection. Ben and I both have it. We both use it all the time. Ben, I know you love NordVPN. What is your favorite part about using it? Well, Chad, I love how NordVPN kicks on to keep you protected as you bounce from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter if you are going down to your own personal house of worship to ask for forgiveness for your many sins against the MMA gods. Doesn't matter if you're then running off to your bank to try to quickly cancel some checks you might have written. Doesn't matter if you're then driving over to your best friend's house to be like, hey, I did not listen to you. You once again had sage advice and uh, I messed up by trying to go my own way. Hubris has brought me here. Does not matter. NordVPN has got you covered. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from stupors, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. Sign up right now for any of NordVPN's handy two-year plans and get an additional four months for free by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or just use the code co-main. That's all one word. Just be sure you use these handy and exclusive CME links. That's nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. This includes all of the plans, all of the two-year plans that NordVPN offers, the standard plan, the plus plan, or the complete plan. It is all risk-free with Nord's Money back guarantee. Again, nordvpn.com slash co-main. All right, we are going to get into talking about this 
UFC 293 main event. We'll go through all of this listener mail. If we have some time left over, we'll answer the non-Sean Strickland-related listener mail that we got. I don't know if we will get that far. We'll just have to play it a little bit by ear. But let's start here. Let's just talk a little bit about the fight itself. I want to open up with this question from Zach Lemon over on our Patreon page. He asked, Strickland has a gas tank for days, elite striking defense, and is a pressure fighter. So he showed up, didn't get hit, never ran out of gas, and crowded Izzy the whole time. We all thought he needed a whole new game plan. This is why I leave the betting to y'all. Uh, you know what, that is, here is something that is obvious in retrospect, right? That Sean Strickland was in fact able to go out there against Israel Adesanya and work his normal Sean Strickland game of, you know, uh, being tireless, constantly moving forward, throwing very tight, but fairly rudimentary combinations and, uh, getting the win. It's exactly the Sean Strickland fight. And he went out there and did it against the guy who had been considered the best in the world at 185 pounds for a long time now. And you got to admit that's, that's pretty impressive. Like all the way around, it was obviously not an outcome that any of us foresaw, but once it was over, you had to kind of, uh, admit that Sean Strickland just did Sean Strickland stuff and, and beat the best guy in the world. I would say it might be giving him a bit too much credit to say elite striking defense. I think that he has sort of a awkward striking defense that is especially combined with his pressure approach, sometimes difficult to deal with, especially if you're trying to sit there and snipe at him. If you're trying to throw sort of one or two punches at a time and you're used to being the pinpoint accurate counter striker waiting for the other guy to open up so that you can fire back and land at a really high rate, but throw relatively few strikes. His, his defensive style can be a little bit tricky for that. And I think that you saw Israel Adesanya both struggle with that, but also just struggle with sort of just getting off and getting uh, his own offense, his own aggression going. Like it just didn't seem like he, ever really put his foot down on the gas for whatever reason. I mean, I I saw all kinds of people's speculation about that, whether it's because, you know, he's had a lot of fights recently. Maybe the Alex Pereira stuff took a whole lot out of him. Maybe he just wasn't all that fired up or all that motivated, getting ready to fight Sean Strickland, thought it was going to be an easier night, whatever it was, or just getting clipped early on and maybe not being able to get back into it. It just seems like maybe... If you're going to let Sean Strickland come forward, walk you down, and be the guy who is throwing and and staying busy a whole lot more, then maybe you're going to have problems with that, dude. Because he he is tough, and he doesn't get tired. So when he gets to do his stuff, yeah, he's going to be pretty good. Yeah. For the first four minutes or so, it seemed like we were going to have an Israel Adesanya fight on our hands. And then Sean Strickland hit him with that straight punch right on the, on the jaw that knocked him down and obviously didn't finish the fight there, but had him in a lot of trouble down the stretch in that first round. And it was kind of like he never fully recovered from that. He did come back and win the second round. And that was probably the only round of the fight that he won. But it was all, I don't know, So just like he was never able to, as you said, get his own stuff going, never really to get able to get out of first gear in a way that, that really mattered. 
And we don't know the reason why. I wonder if we will find out something in the weeks, months, or years to come about what was going on with Israel Adesanya here. But another thing that was kind of a, a, a fundamental factor in this fight was there's not much stuff happened. Israel Adesanya was doing his Israel Adesanya thing. And I think that we even talked about coming out of the Jared Cannonier fight that as we got more and more evidence and more and more film on Israel Adesanya, it seemed like at times there started to be a wide gulf between the Israel Adesanya of our mind's eye and the Israel Adesanya who actually showed up on fight night. And this kind of seemed like another one of those fights where he was, as the commentators would keep reminding us, making his reads and throwing feints and all this other stuff to try to, I guess, get a bead on what Sean Strickland was doing. But there just wasn't a lot of offense from him in this fight. So aside from the the knockdown in round number one, Sean Strickland is is winning these rounds, putting these rounds together with just like a couple of hard punches, a combination here or there that seemed to land harder than what Israel Adesanya was doing. And in this day and age, that is enough to win those rounds and ultimately to win you the fight. And so some of, some of the stuff that I think happened here was... You know, Israel Adesanya's inactivity and his way to his inability to kind of get going. And like he said to Eugene Behrman in the corner between some rounds, like couldn't couldn't find his jab, couldn't get going. And uh, in the end, it cost him, man. Yeah, but it was enough to make me wonder, did Sean Strickland show us the value of a little bit of simplicity mm-hmm. against somebody like Israel Adesanya? Because we have often talked about the problem of dealing with Israel Asani, especially if if you don't have size on him, if he's going to be the bigger, longer guys, the problem of solving that range, the problem of dealing with his more diverse, creative, and just all around technically better striking attack, especially if you can't take him down and keep him there, which a lot of middleweights have found is harder than they think it ought to be. All that kind of stuff. And, you know, we've seen people try different approaches to deal with that. And... Here was, it seemed, a guy who said, what if you just kept walking at him, just kept coming forward at the guy, you know, tried to deflect the few punches he was throwing, and you just sort of jab right crossed your way to, to success? What if you yeah. just meat and potatoes your way into a <laughs> UFC middleweight title? And damn it, that's basically what Sean Strickland did. He kept it real simple. He didn't try to do anything too crazy or anything that was at all out of character for him and just came forward and kept coming forward. And it worked. At least it worked on this particular night. You know, one thing that I think is at least worth considering, and I don't know if we have time to get into a full on aside into it right now, but it's something we might want to think about talking about in a future episode or something that people may want to consider is that seven UFC titles have changed hands in 2023 alone. And that middleweight title obviously changed hands twice already. So I guess you could say seven seven titles either changed hands or became vacant in 2023. Uh, all the UFC titles, except for the men's featherweight title held by Alexander Volkanovsky, have changed hands sometime in the last 13 months. So I feel like it's almost worth asking what is going on with UFC champions, and is it just a situation where there is more parity now in the UFC than ever before, or is something else happening? Is the uh, you know the the breakneck speed, the breakneck pace of the UFC's live event schedule taking its toll on these champions that have to continue to fight uh, at at the highest level? You know, this was uh, 
Israel Adesanya's third or fourth fight, you know, dating yeah. back to, to last summer. And so he had been very active. He had been very busy. And here you got this very uncharacteristic loss to Sean Strickland. And it's not just middleweight, man. Across the board, we've seen some instability at the top in these UFC divisions. And I just, I, I can't sit here and tell you I know the answer why, but it just seems like something a little weird is going on. Yeah, I mean, I think you could easily attribute it just to parity across the UFC that you ha- in a lot of these divisions, you have several good fighters in the top of the ranks. It's not just one good dude and then a bunch of shit. And... People are getting better all across the board. And there are so many ways to win and so many ways to lose in mixed martial arts. You could convince me that it's just like, hey, these long dominant title runs that we got used to from some of the greats were because they were some of the greats and they are not likely to be repeated super often just because it's so goddamn hard to keep showing up and being the champion over and over again. However, if you forced me to pick a reason, if you forced me to say, there's got to be some explanation for this and it can't just be that it be like that sometimes in MMA, then my first thought would be, look at how often champions in most divisions are called upon to compete, especially to meet the needs of the UFC calendar and at times when they don't want to. Because think about the last title we saw change hands before this one. It was Aljamain Sterling. After having told us that this is a quick turnaround, told us that his shins was mushy, told us that he his body was not totally ready to get back into training camp after fighting Henry Cejudo to turn right around and fight Sean O'Malley, who had been off for a year in between fights while Aljamain Sterling had to go you know, five rounds with one of the pound-for-pound greats in between there and then jump right back into camp, clearly before he wanted to. That seems like that could potentially be a factor. Israel Adesanya yeah. comes out of this very emotional rivalry fight with Alex Pereira where he gets his revenge, gets his knockout win, but we need him ready for Australia, man. We're not going to Australia just to see the zoo and wear a crocodile Dundee hat, even though Sean Strickland absolutely is there for that. And frankly, this should be Sean Strickland's new thing. If I'm Sean Strickland, I'm never being seen in public without that hat again. You know, yeah, I, so, I want to hear his Australian accent. What if Sean Strickland did every interview from now on in an Australian accent? I think he should just show up, keep wearing that hat, never offer anybody any explanation for it. If you were joining this program already in progress, you're going to be wondering why this dude who does not sound at all Australian is wearing that hat. And damn it, it's up on you to figure out, to trace the backstory and see how we got here. Because I'm making that my thing if I'm Sean Strickland. I, yeah. You, you, you bought the hat at the gift shop as soon as you got to Sydney. You kept it on all fight week. You go out. You win the biggest fight of your life. You're wearing it at the post-fight press conference. That is your hat now. That's what you do. That is, you know, your version of Samuel L. Jackson's backwards Kangol at this point. You know, you don't ever take that shit off. But I don't know. I could see... If you, if you told me that there has to be an explanation that it's like these, these champions have learned, if you don't get down with the UFC's timetable, then guess what? We looked at the clock. It's interim belt 030. You know, we are pulling one of those out of the supply closet. We're moving right on. You know, that's going to happen. If you say, no, I can't make this date, you know, in Sydney when you were basically, depending on me to be the entire selling point of this card for people that I, I mean, maybe you put 
some champions in that situation and you at least increase the chances that they might lose. Yeah. Uh, Israel Adesanya had been 23-0 and in middleweight fights leading into that loss to Alex Pereira uh, back in November of 2022. His only loss had been when he tried to move up to light heavyweight and fought Jan Blahovich. So he had been very good. He had defended the, the UFC middleweight championship, I think, five times, uh, five or six times, which is a lot, again, in this day and age. But now he's lost two title fights out of his last three. Came out, came back, got the title back from uh, Alex Pereira, chased him up to light heavyweight, and then came out in his next fight and lost to Sean Strickland. Have we, have we just, this is an unfair question, but have we just fundamentally misunderstood who Israel Adesanya is and what his place in history in the middleweight division will be. Because you want to blame me for this loss. John Anik is out there on the live broadcast just as this fight started saying that Israel Adesanya was on the path to surpass Anderson Silva as the greatest middleweight champion of all time. Did, did we just give him more credit than he deserved during those early title defenses? Maybe. I mean, I think that definitely stuff like that is certainly marketing. You know, that's it's sure. that's the stuff sure. we say when it's the company making broadcasts about itself and whoever we have to sell you now is the best that there ever was. You know, that's that's the way fight sports are. That's why we're so bad at kind of keeping the history of this shit alive is because maybe the media cares about it. Maybe some of the fans do. The promoter sure doesn't. And except to the point that you can keep reselling that history. And what they care about is being able to sell the next fight. So that part is always sort of going to be there. It is possible that people, because Israel Adesanya is such a larger-than-life personality, he has some great highlights in there, that we got pretty excited about his title reign and thought of him as maybe more unbeatable than he really is. But I don't know. I mean, he's still been very good. He's yeah. been very good. It just, I keep thinking about that Demetrius Johnson that time talking about some of his most memorable fights and talking about, you know, one night showing up and just to, to defend his UFC title and just not feeling it, not feeling like he really had it in him and still having to just gut it out and find a way to get the win in the fifth round anyway. And that that could happen to you. And also that maybe, you know, you got to give credit to, to Sean Strickland and to Eric Nixick from Extreme Couture because Sean Strickland clearly was prepared for a lot of the regular Israel Adesanya stuff. Yeah. And, you know, he, he the way he dealt with Israel Adesanya's leg kicks, uh, where he really, he managed to do a lot of stuff that kind of shut Israel Adesanya's usual kicking game down. And combine that clear uh, preparation, doing your homework on uh, a fighter like Israel Adesanya, knowing what you're likely to see there with being able to just kind of keep it simple, walk it forward and, and do your stuff against the guy. You know, I think he surprised him. I think Israel Adesanya just didn't think Sean Strickland was as good as he is. Yeah. Hashtag. Sorry about your parlays. I believe was in the tweet. <laughs> He's not Nixon. sorry. Uh, no, he's not. Sorry at all. Said after this Strickland victory. We're going to do this one from David Lauderette, who writes, well, Mr. Strickland is now champion of the world. Uh-oh. 
People about to dig up some old and current tweets, I imagine. I guess I'll go get the popcorn ready. How much are you dreading this particular part of Sean Strickland, of the Sean Strickland era, or are you excited to watch the car wreck this will be? Uh, I feel like this ultimately is going to be one of those times where we thank the heavens that the mainstream media does not actually pay attention to this sport. (laughs) That I feel fairly confident that the Sean Strickland era will come and go almost certainly relatively quickly, but we will talk about that maybe coming up here in a little bit and that no one will really ask enough questions or dig deep enough into the lifestyle of Sean Strickland to find out what kind of dude we're dealing with here. Now, is this once again, one of those things where it happens in MMA and you're kind of like, Oh Jesus Christ. Like really? Like now we got to put up with this. Absolutely. Is anyone outside the bubble going to notice? Probably not, is my guess. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I like how this question mentions, cur- like, dig up current tweets. Because you don't have to go look at no. Yeah, no, you don't have to dig too far. Like, what do you think you're going to dig into Sean Strickland's social media history and be like, aha, explain this time when you were acting like a unhinged psychopath uh, with... Uh, very problematic views. Oh, wait, this was posted 15 minutes ago. Like, it's nothing new. It's not like you're going to expose the guy. We know who he is at this point. And if you're saying, okay, it sucks because we're just going to have to hear from him more often. I don't know, man. It felt like we heard a lot from him when he was just sort of a middle-of-the-pack UFC middleweight. Like, yeah. It feels like he was sort of already getting a ton of media attention. The schmo is in his gym fucking every other day, it seems, doing some kind of Sean Strickland stand-up. So, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to me like just having the title belt will mean we have to hear that much more Sean Strickland. It'll guarantee that, you know, whatever his next fight is, is going to be a, a big one that people pay attention to. And that will have plenty of Sean Strickland media week stuff. But doesn't it feel like at least inside the bubble, we're kind of, I don't want to say immune, but we know what we're getting into. He he's trying really hard at times to reach for shock value, and it's harder and harder because we're just used to what Sean Strickland brings to the table there. Yeah. If you didn't know anything about Sean Strickland and all you saw was him win this fight, I have to say, like, you probably would have taken it as an amazing feel good moment to watch his post fight interview in the cage with Daniel Cormier, despite the insane number of F-bombs that he dropped in a one or two minute uh, post-fight interview there. You could tell that this meant a lot to him. I think at one point he said, I talk a lot of shit, but, uh, you know, this is something that I never could have dreamed of. I feel like in some ways he led us behind the curtain a little bit. Now, I don't think Sean Strickland is putting on an act of any kind when he says or does many of the things that he says and does in public. Maybe when he talks about trying to bait someone to attack him in public so he can commit a murder uh, might be a little bit over the top, might be something that he says for the publicity. But I think for the most part, he has given it to us straight. And I think that that really is who he is. But you could also tell that here is a guy who had worked a long time for this. Uh, as he as he said, you know, works his ass off in the gym, which I think is absolutely probably true. I assume that Sean Strickland is a gym rat and a cardio monster and everything else. Uh, but yeah, this was like clearly meant a lot to him. And if you didn't know anything about him, I think that you would watch this and be like, oh, a fairy tale ending for this guy. 
who I don't know anything else about. So I'm sure that there are some people that came away with that impression, frankly. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, Next question this week comes to from Tim Clifton on Patreon. He says, after Saturday, do you think GSP is going to unretire for another title fight? Cheers. Do you think GSP walks in the door and beats Sean Strickland? Just like, you know. Yes. What if what if GSP do, goes about the Sean Strickland route of getting fights and he's just around? And he's like, you know, give me a pair of shorts. I will walk into the cage. He Does, does he win? Does just like tomorrow night, does he win? Yes. <laughs> Not much hesitation there, though blast I do agree double, with you. Uh, Superman punch, blast double, uh, elbows from the top inside the guard, uh, and then Sean Strickland is blinded by his own blood, and GSP gets his hand raised. Uh, you know damn well the UFC ain't letting George St. Pierre within sniffing distance of another title after the way he did him. After he, yeah. after he came back, beat Michael Bisping, and was like, oh, no, my colitis, or whatever it was, and then pieced back up out the game. Dana White was so mad. Dana White could hold a grudge. And, the yeah, they, they're not doing that. But don't you think, given Sean Strickland's own track record in the UFC to this point, don't you think that there were a lot of UFC middleweights that saw him win this belt and went, oh, good. Yeah, Just absolutely. business opened up right now I was, because I, I was wondering if Alex Pereira just immediately got up walked over and threw the cheeseburger he was ate, eating in the trash <laughs> and he's like here we go we're going back down we have a couple of questions to this point number one a bit of a cheeky one along the same lines from Patrick Milder on Patreon who writes maybe you need to read about a fella named Icarus and his hubris <laughs> next time we're making bets but in the spirit of hubris Bo Nickel now has the perfect matchup to be middleweight champ right Ooh. so there's Ooh. a bit of a that's the as takedowns go, perhaps the new GSP does Bo Nickel roll in tomorrow and defeat Sean Strickland. That's a good question. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe he does. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's like, you know, that there's got to be a whole lot of people who, like, people who have wins over Sean Strickland in in the the recent past. You know, Jared Cannonier has a split decision win over Sean Strickland less than a year ago, December of 2022. Jared Cannonier lost Israel Adesanya and probably felt like, well, it's going to be a long road to get back up. Guys like that who are sitting around going like, okay, if Sean Strickland is going to be the champ, then, you know, a lot of things feel possible. 
the the slate gets kind of wiped clean after Israel Asani had beat a whole bunch of people who felt like they're going to have to work really hard to get back up there. I mean, I got to imagine somebody like Bobby Knuckles, even if he's coming off that loss to Dreykus Duplassie, is just going to be like, okay, so wait, I could win maybe one more. And then we could talk, see if Sonic Strickland's still a champ then. Or here's here's what I wonder. DDP himself, who was working yeah. up this big rivalry fight with, with Izzy Adesanya, that we thought was probably going to be an uphill climb for him if he actually did get in the cage with him, is he going like, okay, this is a little more doable, me and Sean Strickland. Or, or did he just get absolutely screwed, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, we need to point out, since I just talked about how good Israel Adesanya had been, Sean Strickland, since he moved back up to middleweight in October of 2020, has only lost to Alex Pereira and Jared Cannonier, and the Jared Cannonier fight was a split decision. He has won eight fights. Now, he hasn't really fought anybody of the championship variety until he fought Israel Adesanya. His previous wins had been uh, the one that they put him in there against Abbas Magomedov, which couldn't really tell if they were trying to get Sean Strickland to win or if they were trying to get the other guy a win in that one. He beat Nasruddin Imavov. He beat Jack Hermanson, Uriah Hall, Christoph Jocko, Brendan Allen, Jack Marshman were his middleweight wins. Now, maybe Easy Dos Santos is sitting there being like, hey, I beat this guy. Maybe I move up to 185. But... That brings us to our next question here from Cody Bernston on Patreon, who writes, I am ready for the Bobby Knuckles era to return. Screw an immediate rematch for Izzy. Have him move to 205 and have a weirds mobile fight with Johnny Walker. Uh, So I think this brings up the valid question of what you do with these guys now. Uh, You said you thought Robert Whitaker should win one more fight. I'm not sure. Well, it appears that in the mind of Dana White, we're going to do a Sean Strickland, Israel Adesanya rematch, which is probably what they will end up doing. I don't necessarily know, frankly, that Adesanya deserves that right off right off the bat, but I would think if it were me, Sean Strickland, Robert Whitaker, and I think you could still do Israel Adesanya versus DDP, even if the title is not on the line. I mean, I think it's a little strange to say we do an immediate rematch for this one because it's not like he just got caught. No, you know, he just got beat. He got beat over the course of five rounds. Had five opportunities to get up off that stool, walk forward, find a way to beat Sean Strickland. Couldn't do it. You know, I get it if you've been champ for four years, completely uninterrupted. You get clipped on the chin once. You get caught in a guillotine or something, and we go, well, okay, let's see if that guy can make that half court shot again, because I don't know if he can. But he just came out there and beat him. Just yeah. straight up beat him. You know? Like, there's no... Not really... It wasn't a controversial decision or anything. It wasn't anything really questionable about, about it. Plus, that was his first fight back as champion after having the belt taken from him by Alex Pereira. For which, you know, he, he turned around and got an instant rematch. So, I don't know, man. I mean, I think the UFC is probably just looking at it from a selling pay-per-views and tickets sort of perspective. Looking at the business of it and saying, okay, we think Sean Strickland versus Izzy Adesanya too probably does big business because you probably missed out on some pay-per-view buys just from people who went, man, this one is not competitive. How is the right. main event going to be the longest odds on the fight card? Sean Strickland was the biggest underdog on this fight card. They probably went, I don't need to see Izzy Adesanya just outclass this dude. And then when you hear Sean Strickland won, then maybe you get talked into the rematch a little bit more easily. And maybe the UFC thinks Sean Strickland versus Dreykus Duplessis doesn't draw flies. Uh, I don't know. 
But still, just from, like, if this sport made sense, if this sport followed any sort of internal logic other than money, I don't know how you really make the argument that Izzy Adesanya has to get the instant rematch here. And all the, the question always then becomes, what if he does win it? What if he comes back and he wins the second fight? Do we turn right around and do a trilogy after that? The big Israel Adesanya, Sean Strickland trilogy we've all been waiting for yeah. this whole time. What you just mentioned this, that uh, Israel Adesanya had a lot of time to figure this out and that Sean Strickland basically just showed up, got in his face and beat him for 25 minutes or at least beat him for 20 of those 25 minutes. I said at the top that this was surely one of the biggest championship upsets in UFC history. And one of the things that strikes me about it is that those other many, maybe not all, but many of those other championship update up upsets are one shot, right? Uh, Holly Holm kicks Ronda Rousey in the head. Not that Ronda Rousey was on the verge of winning that thing, but it was, you know, one strike knockout kind of thing. Matt Sarah hits GSP, knocks him down, gets on top of him, gets the TKO, TKO win. Uh, George St. Pierre stuns Michael Bisping, you know, follows it up, gets gets the win there. This was one where the seven to one underdog showed up and beat the champion from start to finish. So in my mind, it in some ways is more impressive and like an even bigger upset. I would say, even unless I am forgetting one, that this is the biggest upset that I have seen in UFC championship history. Do you agree? I think, well... In terms of just how little chance we gave the challenger, I think that Matt Sarah GSP is still at the top. Just because, especially Matt Sarah came in there as the reality show winner. It was one step away from one lucky fan is going to get to fight for GSP's title kind of thing, where it felt very much like he almost won a raffle and we were going to throw him in there. Plus, you looked at him physically next to GSP and you were like, this munchkin ass dude from Long Island is going to get murdered by the greatest and most beautifulest UFC fighter there ever was. And then he went out there and he won it. However, I do think that in terms of just like appreciating the accomplishment, it is way more impressive to go out there and beat a guy just for 25 minutes to, to beat him in a five round fight, beat him clearly like that rather than just to clip him once and, yeah. and, I don't say get lucky because you know you're aiming for his head and you hit it, but still, that is the kind of thing where you could, anybody can have that kind of moment. Anybody can land that one punch. That's what that's what we've sold many a mismatch on is that anything can happen in a fight. Yeah. But to go out there and just beat the guy, and the guy had so many chances to to get back in it to right the ship, couldn't do it. That I think is honestly more impressive even if it doesn't get the same kind of attention from fans. I just said George St. Pierre against uh, Michael Bisping. What I probably should have said was Michael Bisping against Luke Rockhold, uh, because that was the one that was one of them where he just hit and, you know, hit him with a uh, strike that stunned him and was able to finish. Now you're going to stick with Matt Sarah as the greatest upset in UFC championship history. I don't know, man. I recall a guy that I host a podcast with last week, essentially, uh, you know, just being so sure, just saying, how does he beat him? Tell me a way, he says, almost flabbergasted, almost just, you know, can't, just can't imagine. Just tell me a way Sean Strickland beats Israel Adesanya. 
maybe talked his buddy into putting Israel Adesanya in oh, all of his Oh, get out of I here. I don't know. I maybe will not. He did I will not sit here and listen to this. Talked his buddy. How on earth, he says. How you showed up with your bet Sean slips Strickland. in hand, my friend. <laughs> I'm don't just act what, like. I'm just saying what I was told. The information that I had leading up to making those bets was this guy over here who works for a betting company looking me in my face and saying, Tell me how. Tell me what way on God's green earth does Sean Strickland beat Israel Adesanya? Poor, poor, impressionable Chad Dundas. <laughs> a babe in the woods led astray. Saying, you, you were pretty sure he was gonna he was gonna win. You yeah, pretty sure Israel Adesanya. We we're all pretty win. sure he's gonna win, man. I mean, okay, shit. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for confirming that for all of us. And we the were all question, pretty sure that it would should that you should almost be brought up on charges for putting Matt Sarah in there with GSP. <laughs> Except for fucking Henzo Gracie, who went and put like a couple grand down on it and then couldn't have been more tickled tonight that Matt Sarah won. All right. Speaking of coaching, here's one from John Lee on Patreon who writes, point the first, put some respect on An- uh, Anderson Silva's name as he is 1,000 times better than Izzy has ever been. And when he was in danger in the championship rounds, he submitted Chael Sonnen like a G. Now on to Izzy. That meltdown before round five is something I have never seen in 20 years of MMA watching. Zero adjustments, zero urgency, just vibes. Izzy was whining from round one on and Eugene Behrman did nothing. Even Greg Jackson told GSP to shut up and and hit him with his groin. Uh, so my question is, is Izzy uncoachable and Behrman knew there was no point or does Behrman suck and he's just the Aussie Edmund who got lucky with talent? Oh, Wow. Now, I'm not going to I think Eugene Behrman is a good coach because we have seen city kickboxing guys show up for fight after fight after fight in great shape with great game plans. And we have seen them go out there and execute those in fights. This one struck me as a little bit weird because in stark contrast to what Eric Nixick was doing in the other corner. And by the way, what Eric Nixick was doing in the other corner was unbelievably rad. Uh, but. It seemed like Behrman and Andrew, or and Israel Asanya had no plan. It seemed like that they were just, that they hadn't dreamed in a million years that this would be happening. And like they could, they, and I, John seems right to me that they just didn't have a plan B. They didn't have an adjustment that they could go to other than, hey man, go out there and, and do your stuff and win this fight because you're the best in the world. Yeah, but can we not do the thing where we need to make a complete sweeping broad generalization about both or either guy based on this one night? Couldn't we just at least allow for the possibility that they had a bad night, that it was tougher than they thought, they didn't have it on this night, and it didn't go their way other than being like, Izzy's uncoachable and Berriman was a fraud. You know, we don't need to go there. We don't need to just be like, okay, everything we saw here replaces everything we've seen before. Because anybody could have a bad night. And it did seem like Israel Asani had a bad night. Sean Strickland said afterwards that he he was looking at Israel Asani being like, is this dude even trying? Like he was surprised that the fight was as easy, relatively easy for him that he said he thought he was going to be leaving there with a concussion. And that instead he was leaving there as the champion with just a few bumps and bruises. And so I think we should at least allow for the possibility that they had a bad night that Eugene Berriman was seeing. We're having a bad night. And maybe you can argue like, okay, that's where you separate the good from the great coaches is that you can get in the guy's face, fire him up, know which buttons to push to get him off the stool and get him back in that fight. Didn't happen. It doesn't mean that either one of them sucked and has always sucked, though. 
Uh, next question this week comes to us from uh, Jizzy B, who writes, hate to bring this up, but perhaps Alex Pereira working with Sean Strickland during his camp maybe is the definition of re- revenge is a dish best served cold. Also, do you think Adesanya went into autopilot after being nearly stopped in round one, thus leading to his defensive performance? Uh, you know, like I said at the start, I feel like Israel Adesanya many times gives us this kind of performance. And in the past, it has just been that he has been able to win with a stoppage or that he has been able to uh, outpoint the opponent. I didn't necessarily think that this was an out-of-character Israel Adesanya performance. I just think that Sean Strickland was able to to beat him, get, score more points than he did with his with his game plan. Now, I do think that the the knockdown in the first round might have shook him a little bit. Might yeah, have, he was hurt. Might have been, yeah, he was. He almost got finished. He probably... if. If uh, Mark Goddard had stopped the fight right there, there would have been some outcry, but I also don't think it would have been a terrible stoppage because he was getting hammered on the fence and wasn't doing anything about it. Probably gave that thumbs up at exactly the right moment to save himself in the in the moment there. Uh, but I do think that getting dropped, I think he was kind of like, whoa, I maybe didn't respect this guy's power, and I thought I was just going to be able to you know, let him come forward and, and counterpunch my way to victory here. I I probably changed his his strategy or his uh, at least subconscious way he was thinking about this fight. I don't see how it couldn't for to get dropped in the first round. Yeah, and like even some of his reaction after he got dropped, right? Because that like that right hand finds him, and then when he gets up, uh, and Sean Strickland is jacking him with left hands in the close, and his reaction there is is the, the body language was kind of like, just give me a minute. Would you like just sort of like, come on, knock it off. It wasn't super urgent, you know, Yeah. which was that was sort of weird to see from him because you're looking at him. And you're just like, oh, man, like, is he that hurt? Is he that stunned that he's having like a sort of a slow reaction time to all this offense? Because Sean Strickland was pouring it on there and you could tell he, he felt like maybe the finish was close. And credit to Sean Strickland there for not doing what we've seen so many other people do in a situation like this, especially when you are the underdog title challenger to go in there and when you see, oh, here's my opportunity and to just spend everything you got, have that adrenaline dump. And then when it, that stoppage doesn't happen to be completely done, that's that's training and preparation that he put in there yeah. that he, you know, he didn't get the stoppage there when he probably thought that it was close, but still had it in him to go the rest of the way with no problems at all. So that's a credit to his cardio and uh, the work that he put in in the gym. But yeah, I mean, if you told me that Israel Adesanya kind of started off flat, got caught in the first round, couldn't get back to it, honestly, I guess I would believe that. But it, I, I, that also does not mean that Sean Strickland did not do a great job preparing for him and did not do a great job just doing his stuff against Israel Adesanya. Yeah, uh, I saw it floated on Twitter, and I don't necessarily know if I disagree, but maybe the short notice nature of this fight benefited Sean Strickland more than it benefited Israel Adesanya because I suppose the philosophy or the the thinking is, the assumption is that Eric Nixick has been watching film on Israel Adesanya for a long time, trying to figure out, you know, what what the, the game plan would be if he had a fighter that was supposed to fight him. Israel Adesanya had probably not been doing much preparation for Sean Strickland before this fight was announced. He was probably not, oh biggest threat to my title reign at this point is Sean Strickland. I need to be prepared for him in the eventuality that we meet in the cage. You're telling me you don't think that Eugene Berriman had been like, listen, it's only a matter of time. 
before we have to go up against the monster Sean Strickland. I should start preparing now. Yeah. It's possible. I don't think there was uh I don't think there was an entire file cabinet in the in the office at City Kickboxing that just said Strickland. Just had a piece of duct tape <laughs> across the front of it that said Strick the Strickland files are over go, here. Go get the Strickland's tapes out of the closet. We're gonna we're gonna spend all night pouring through them again. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, I mean, just the the fact that Sean Strickland went and trained with Alex Pereira, which got brought up on the broadcast as a thing that he did, again, is like, you know, Sean Strickland says all of this crazy shit and acts like an absolute dumbass, but clearly in his quest for MMA greatness or MMA uh, competence, I guess, uh, he does do a lot of stuff that maybe we wouldn't expect from him to like go as I believe they said on the broadcast, like kind of put his ego aside to go learn from a guy who had previously horribly knocked him out. So I think that there is some evidence to suggest that Sean Strickland perhaps is more dedicated and more open to growth than we would give him credit for just if judged by his, uh, his public persona. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Anything else that you wanted to say about this fight before we move on to some of this other uh, UFC 293 stuff? How do you think Sean Strickland celebrates a win like this? I was going to ask where you think he is right now. What do you think Sean Strickland is doing? It is 2.30 p.m. in the mountain time zone, the one true time zone. So it is 1.30 p.m. in Las Vegas. I don't know if he has made it back or if he is still in the land down under shirtless in a, a bar that's in a double wide trailer wearing his crocodile dundee hat doing shoeys and singing along with men at work on the jukebox but what where do you think sean strickland is right now what do you think he's doing i think there's two possibilities one is that he ended up going out partying too hard in australia and got himself into a wake and fright scenario remember when we watched that crazy ass movie where the next thing you know you're in the outback you've lost all the money you won uh gambling on some inscrutable Australian uh, wagering thing in a bar uh, and now you're at the whims of an alcoholic doctor and being called upon to fight a kangaroo in single combat that's option one so I'm not saying that that's not what happened I can actually very easily see that being the case option two is that Sean Strickland is back home in Vegas still in that weird like one bedroom apartment where the toilet is broken and he refuses to even just get out a paper clip to fix it and is sitting there right now alone also still shirtless wearing the crocodile Dundee, Dundee hat cleaning his mailbox gun the gun he uses just to walk to the to get the mail in case anything yeah, comes no, up 
I remember it. Um, but occasionally, a a smile crosses his face, and he mumbles to himself, "World champion," and then just goes <laughs> right on being Sean Strickland. The thing about Israel Adesanya is that you can't ever erase this one. You can come back and you can get your title back in a rematch if they do indeed give you that that opportunity. But you're always going to have the the night that you lost to Sean Strickland. You're always going to have that with you. Yeah. I mean, don't you think if he comes back and he knocks out Sean Strickland in the second round or something in a rematch, that the the reaction from people will be, okay, the world has been set right again. We, we, we played a little f- fun house mirror, but uh, we're back to normal, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yeah, but I mean, you, it's always going to have that. He's always going to be there's that one time I lost to Sean Strickland. Yeah. All right. Moving on here to a couple other topics. At Pissed Off Lawyer emailed us to say, Volkov versus Tuivasa was a fun fight. The Russian has established himself once again as one of the top fighters in the world. His win solidifies the fact that the UFC's heavyweight division is now deeper than it ever has been. Jones and Stipe are fighting in one of the biggest fights in the history of the division. The UFC will presumably book Gon versus Aspinall and Pavlovich versus Volkov, maybe as a somewhat late addition to the as the co-main of UFC 295, with Pavlovich as the backup fighter for Stipe versus Jones already. The UFC might as well book him to fight Volkov in what could be a number one contenders match, assuming Volkov can make the relatively quick turnaround. Please discourse. Um, we also got an email from our guy Darkwing Duck that that uh, concerns Johnny Bones against Stipe, which we can talk about in a second. But what about Volkov versus Tui Vasa? Alexander Volkov uh, was beating him up to begin with, just using his length and his range to kind of pester Tai Tuivasa as Tai Tuivasa tried to get inside and, and close the distance. But then he whips out the Ezekiel choke mm-hmm. of all things in the, in the, the second round here. White belt ass jujitsu. Yeah, to get, to get the win over Tuivasa. Like, uh, I felt a little bad for Tai Tuivasa because it seemed like Tai Tuivasa was perhaps in better shape than we had seen him before. By Tai Tuivasa standards, he was looking pretty svelte. Like maybe he had... Uh, taking this one seriously and got himself into good shape. He was out there working the low kicks, uh, you know, the, the uh, putting together a, a fight strategy, putting together a, a game plan here instead of just rock'em, sock'em robots. And frankly, it looked like the leg kicks were, in fact, about to pay off. I don't know if between round one and round two, after Tuivasa gets absolutely bludgeoned, if his coach was just doing coach stuff and being like, hey, man, the leg kicks are about to work. You got to keep using the leg kicks, but it did seem like Volkov was on the verge of succumbing to the leg kicks when he gets the finish here. But I don't know. I felt like this was one where maybe I can't look into his mind, but I feel like maybe this was one where Taito Ivasa was like, you know what? I'm going to do everything right for this one. And then he goes out there and he just, he doesn't have it for Alexander Volkov. Just a tough matchup for him. Yeah, I got to say to our guy pissed off lawyer here, when he writes, the Russian has established himself once again as one of the top fighters in the world. Has he, though? Has he, though? One of the the Russians has. Okay, this one, though. Alexander Volkov. Has he, though? Is that what he did by submitting Tai Tuivasa? I mean, good fight, fun fight, all that stuff. Better to win them than to lose one. Also, though... You know, you submitted one of the more submittable heavyweights on the UFC roster and a guy who what now has lost three straight. I mean, did he though? Well, did, I mean, is that, might... is that the fight that where you go, okay, Volkov is on, is, is 
among the elite company because I agree with all the other stuff you're talking about, about all the, the fun shit and the interesting shit that's going on. Some young heavyweights that you got up there and Tom Aspinall, Sergey Pavlovich, uh, Stipe out the, getting ready to walk out the door. John Jones saying he'll walk out the door. All those guys. I don't know if Alexander Volkov just jumped right into that same exact conversation with this win. You know, well, we might be splitting hairs a little bit. It might depend on what you mean by one of the best fighters in the world. You do have a pretty deep heavyweight top 10, at least by heavyweight standards. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think they have updated the UFC rankings yet. Uh, But Alexander Volkov came into this fight ranked number seven in the world. He did, according to the rankings, get that bump. He got the pre-fight bump where he had been number eight and he moved up to number seven. Uh, owing to what I couldn't tell you, but he did in fact defeat Tai Tuivasa, who was ranked number six. You got to imagine they at least flip flop in the rankings, which would put Alexander Volkov right there with Cyril Gaon, Sergei Pavlovich, Stipe Miocic, Tom Aspinall, and Curtis Blades. So if you want to say that there can be seven of the best heavyweights in the world, then yeah, put Alexander Volkov on that list. Uh, you want if you only want to talk about the top four, then maybe he's still on the outside looking in. But the, I think the larger point is here, that is a good top 10, man. From Cyril gone to, I guess the guys I didn't mention to round out the top 10 are Sergey Spivak, Jilton Almeida, and Derek Lewis. Like, that's a pretty good group, frankly, from compared to what we're used to. Yeah, and I mean, that's true. I guess maybe the, the way to go with this one, talking about Alexander Volkov coming out of this particular fight, is to go the Tito Ortiz at Affliction uh, announcing route and go Alexander Volkov one of the best fighters on the night and we can leave it there you know okay uh we did want to touch on this one from Darkwing Duck who says if you guys manage to take a breath in between talking about Sean Strickland's win over Izzy I don't want it to get totally drowned out that Johnny Bones and Stipe finally got something on the books and we don't even have to wait long for it November 11th MSG speak on that homies uh, I believe this is UFC 295, Madison Square Garden. It, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. It was unclear when it was going to happen. Uh, we thought maybe end of the year, but it is clear now that they want to get John Jones on that Madison Square Garden card. I, I am actually hyped for it now, knowing that we are going to have a very sh- fairly short run-up, less time for John Jones to get himself in trouble, less time for Stipe Miocic to become disinterested and decided that he just wants to go be a firefighter. Uh I mean, yeah, give me give me the the relatively short, at least announced lead up to this fight. I will take it. I am excited for November 11th. Yeah. And because that, that also feels like a real pivot point for what we're going to do at the heavyweight division. Right. Because we just talked about all these younger guys, fresh faces, uh, a lot of whom we haven't really seen at that level yet, but who seem like they are good and worth getting excited about. You got. John Jones versus the the oldest of the old guards still available at heavyweight in Stipe Miocic. It feels like we're all just sort of assuming John Jones wins that. And then we have yeah. already in our minds moved on to the question of then what? Does he stick to this plan to walk away? Does he hang around to fight one of these young bucks? Does he tell himself he will walk away only to be back inside of a year, year and a half? My money's on that one. But it does seem like one way or another... We're going to get some clarity. We're going to find out what we're doing at heavyweight. Uh, and, you know, we're going to get one of those fights that uh, that's a video game fight. If you got the UFC video game and one of the first kind of matchups you would make probably would be John Jones versus Stipe just to see how that goes. Right. 
So, yeah, I'm excited about that one. It would be the most heavyweight thing in the world if no matter who won or lost this thing, they immediately retired. Uh, or both <laughs> both guys retired, and then suddenly they're like, okay, vacant title fight between Cyril Gaon and Sergei Pavlovich. I but guess. see, you got enough good... You could even work with that. That's what tells yeah. you how deep heavyweight is right now, which is almost never the case in the UFC. You could turn if you had to turn around and be like, "All right, Tom Masvidal versus Sergey Pavlovich for the vacant heavyweight strap." Honestly, I'd be like, "Hell yeah, let's fucking do this!" And then let's yeah. make sure whoever wins, we heap enough public praise on that person that John Jones is like, "All right, fuck it, no, no one can get more attention than me. I have to come back and get that belt because you know that's what's going to happen. You just know it." All right, here's one from our guy Ryan Robinson on Patreon. He actually sent us some much longer thoughts than this, but I, I boiled it down here because this is the question that I think we would want to answer. He says, well, guys, they got me. I ended up sitting down and seeing a link to the free live stream of Game Bread Bare Knuckle MMA on Friday night. The most interesting thing about the main event was the fashion. Junior Dos Santos had fucking pockets. He was wearing whatever black gym shorts he had around with a couple of ironed-on Sagano patches. Cody McKenzie was a cautionary tale, not a fable. Don't you think your go-horse, Fabricio Verdum, was doing all that much... Don't, don't think your go-horse, Fabricio Verdum, was doing all that much better. Verdum had on his PFL shorts from his lone no contest in the smart cage. I hope he had time to wash them... Uh, between hitting the weights and tracking down secret juice. I watched so you didn't have to. It was the most important fight card of the weekend, right? There wasn't anything else that happened. Uh, I succumbed to this. You watched this too, didn't you? Yeah, Sitting at home on Friday night with nothing to do, and all of a sudden you remember, hold on, there's a free live stream I can easily access from Bloody Elbow to go watch uh, Junior Dos Santos and Fabricio Verdum fight in a goddamn bare-knuckle MMA fight at Jorge Masvidal's bare knuckle MMA promotion, you're goddamn right. I talked myself into watching this. I didn't even realize it. I just sort of like pulled out my phone. I'd been doing stuff, uh, and then the next thing you know, I'm home. It's like nine o'clock at night, nine ten o'clock around there. I saw the shit was going on. Like I just happened to pull out my phone and look at Twitter, like just as the fight was starting. I was like, well, okay, it's free. It's a live stream. I it just I click one one link. It pulls up for me, and there I am. I'm watching it, and like, okay, you got me. You got me. I'm watching this. You and I talked a little bit about this, though, uh, on Saturday, because as you pointed out, Fabrizio Verdum talked all that stuff about how he wanted Valet Tudo rules for this fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He would have got his fucking head stomped the way he fought. There are several times when he was doing the, the classic kind of Fabrizio Verdum thing. Flopping down into the guard and being like, would you please come down here and do some jujitsu with me? And Junior Santos is like, nah, bro, I don't think that I will. Like, that's when you get head stomped, man. That's that yeah. he ought to be glad he didn't get the valet tudo rules. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, this was a little bit of a throwback to the old school of how MMA used to be at the dawn of time. And frankly, action wise, it was a bit of a throwback as well. These guys didn't get a ton done out there both looked like a million bucks after <laughs> junior dos santos went on record saying it was great to train being able to take all the stuff he didn't used to be able to take during you saw testing his vitamins all of his vitamins and whatnot he he looked uh well put together he was light on his feet bouncing around out there explosive didn't get tired looked like a guy who'd taken all of his vitamins frankly uh not that this was a particularly high-paced fight because it wasn't 
But it also reminded me that like, man, we do in fact have these gloves for a reason. And it's not necessarily to keep these guys from hitting each other super hard. Because to Fabricio Verdun's original point, he said the, you know, the small MMA gloves don't make that much difference anyway. But what the MMA gloves sometimes do is keep a guy's eyelid from just about falling off when Junior Dos Santos hits him right in the eye with his taped up ass knuckles, which is something that happened to Fabricio Verdun. That was pretty gross. That was gross. That shit was gross, bro. So what you got if you tuned in to watch Game Bread MMA, the main event at least, was a slow-paced fight between Junior Dos Santos and Fabricio Verdun that Junior Dos Santos won somehow by split decision, even though it should have obviously been a unanimous decision. Yeah. But a slow-paced, not very exciting fight that also managed to simultaneously be very gross. Yeah. I don't know how you look at that one. Uh, see Fabricio Verdun try and fail for a couple takedowns see his eyelid hanging off his face by the end and be like, that looks like the winner to me. I don't know. I don't know how that happens. All right. Last question this week comes to us from the average UFC fan. Unfortunately, they wrote, I spent my hard earned money on the UFC pay-per-view this weekend only to be shocked at what I was hearing. Shocked. Anik and Cormier were calling the fights, but they were interrupted by the voice of a woman. Really? A lady in the UFC broadcast booth. What is the world coming to? Did the UFC sell a stake in the company to the nation of Wokistan? I don't like po- I don't like politics mixed in with my UFC. Did Dana White, UFC president and two-time Republican National Convention speaker, quit his job and get replaced by Obama, Gates, and Fauci? Go woke, go broke. Now, I love throwing Fauci tell, in there. I, know. I believe that that email was... Uh, satire yeah in it's a, a way. bit we're doing a it's bit doing there. a bit there uh is it now see i would not be surprised about this but i also have not been trolling uh the twitter machine that closely in recent days are there really dumb motherfuckers out there complaining about laura sanko being on the broadcast because i'm sure there's somebody ridiculous i'm sure if you look around there's going to be somebody who's being that asshole but all the reviews that i saw were very positive uh and rightly she, uh, so she's like the best goddamn Third member of the broadcast booth ever. You got Anik doing the Anik thing. You got Daniel Cormier there for his bubbly exuberance. Just and then talking. you got Laura Senko handing out the actual uh, uh, steady, measured mixed martial arts analysis. It's like it's the perfect booth. Yeah. yeah, And I mean, maybe this is just a testament to how well I've done at curating who I hear from on, on social media and whatnot. But I, I did not encounter anybody being this particular type of asshole. I'm, I don't doubt that that asshole is out there somewhere, but maybe the truth is you would have to go looking for him. And that overall, uh, people recognize that Laura Sanko is good at this and probably should have been doing it before now. Yeah. I did see uh, a couple of guys in the cage drop the other F word. And yep. that Still David Knight's uh, typical response was that that's not good. We all make mistakes. This is the UFC. We're not going to jump down your throat and, you know, tell you what to do and say and all that other what stuff. What do you think of which, his reaction would have been if they were on there complaining about fighter pay? They don't tell you what to say as long as you're not criticizing the company or costing them money with their business practices. And I imagine that somewhere out in rural Washington, Dennis Hallman was watching that press conference sitting there on his couch wearing his blue speedo being like what the fuck bro all i did Stitched was show up wearing the wrong yeah 
All I did was show up wearing the wrong shorts and you fired me. And that was yeah. back before they had a kind of shorts you were supposed to wear. This guy just shows up in his Speedo and he's gone. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep in mind, we're over on the Patreon page all week. We'll be doing Wednesday's live chat, Thursday's power hour. Last week, we had uh, Patrick Wyman on the power hour, the MMA guy who made good. Doing the damn things, what we had him on. Yeah, doing the damn thing, whatever. It all runs together in my mind brain. Uh, and it was amazing. And it's just another example of why you should jump on. Come join us over on the Patreon page. Thursday's doing the damn thing. Friday power hour. You can hear our hilariously bad bets that then chart the course of all of mixed martial arts culture. Go to patreon.com slash co-main event. Sign up to join the team if you would. If you do, we'll talk to you on Wednesday. If not, we'll talk to you right here again next week on the proper uh, free of charge. As for right now, thanks for listening. We are done. We are through. We are out.